Volume 2, Chapter 7 of the Heidenmauer, or the Benedictines, a legend of the Rhine, by James Fedimore Cooper. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Joel Kendrick. The Heidenmauer, by James Fedimore Cooper, Volume 2, Chapter 7. He who the sword of heaven will bear should be as holy as severe, measure for measure. The first glances between Emic and Bonifacius were filled with those passions which each had so long dissembled, and of which the reader has already had glimpses during the more unguarded moments of the recent debauch. In the eyes of the Count, triumph mingled with hatred, while there still remained a slight covering of artifice and caution about the lineaments of the abbot, masked that he scarcely thought it yet expedient to throw entirely aside. "'We owe this visit, then, to thee, Herr Emic said the latter, struggling to appear calm, and to thine own desert, most holy Bonifacius. What wouldst thou, audacious baron? Peace in this oft-violated valley, humility in shaven crowns, religion without hypocrisy, and mine own. I will not talk to thee of heaven, bold man, for the word were blasphemy in such a presence. But thou art not yet so lost to worldly policy as to overlook the punishment of the empire." hast thou well counted thy gold and art thou sure thy coffers are sufficiently stored to rebuild the sainted pile which thy hand would fain destroy or dost think thy riches can replace all that pious princes have here bestowed during ages in which the church hath been duly reverenced as to thy vessels and precious stones revered abbot it shall be my heed to preserve them to meet this demand which haply may never be made and as to the cost of rebuilding the abbey why the same notable workman that helped first to set it up will owe me a good turn for punishing those that outwitted him and sent him away without the promised boon of souls though in god's truth were the fact fairly dived into i am of opinion that limburg after all hath sent more customers to his furnaces than all the drinking inns and pot-houses of the palatinate this sally of their lord produced a general and deriding laugh among his followers who now began to flock into the church from other parts of the abbey with the expectation that there was rich plunder to be had in the sanctuary it was about this time too that a brand was cast among the straw of the barracks and the strong light which glared through the stained windows very effectually told the monks of the inefficiency of further remonstrances notwithstanding his known licentiousness and the general freedom of his life the abbot had imbibed from the high object of his calling by that secret process that renders even the least deserving in some measure subject to the influence of their professions a cast of dignity and perhaps we might add even sincerity for there is often a strange admixture of inherent faith and practical unbelief about the desolate that caused him frequently to rise to the level of his most solemn duties a character strong and masculine as his could not be aroused without displaying some of its latent energies be it for good or be it for evil an emic had in which his enemy succeeded in repressing his fierce resentment and the expression of clerical dignity and official calmness that reigned in his countenance the abbot arose like a prelate in the undisturbed exercise of his functions and raising his voice so as to send his words to the deepest recesses of the chapel he spoke after the manner of the peculiar rites of the church he served god in his hidden wisdom hath permitted to the wicked a momentary triumph 
he said, We search not now into the reasons of this mysterious dispensation. The truth will be known in his own time, but as servitors of the altar, as guardians of this holy sanctuary, as the sworn and professed of heaven, as one consecrated and blessed, there remaineth a solemn and imperative duty to perform. Bonifacius, beware! interrupted the Count of Linogen. Thou dealest not now with burgomasters and weeping wives. In the behalf, then, of that God to whom this shrine hath been raised, continued the unmoved abbot, in his holy interest and in his holy name, at thy peril, priest, anemic shook partly in anger and partly in a terror he could scarce explain, as his unworthy but necessary minister, as consecrated and blessed, gifted with the power by the head of the church, and now required to use it, do I pronounce thee... Where are ye, followers of Hartenburg? Down with the silly maledictions of this mad monk. Remember, ye are not trembling women, to need a Benedictine's blessing. The voice of Emic was drowned, as well as that of the abbot, by the noises that were now raised in the chapel. The first interruption came from a long, dark instrument that was thrust from out of the aisle behind the throne of Bonifacius and within a few feet of his head, an interruption that filled the whole edifice with the wild, plaintive strains of the mountains. This signal, which came from the cherrywood trumpet of Gottlieb, who rarely went abroad without this badge of his profession, was immediately followed by a general shout from the band of the Count, and by a variety of similar sounds that were raised by different instruments that had hitherto been mute. The effect of these shrill strains echoing among the vaulted and fretted roofs, which were brightly illuminated by the growing and fierce light that now pervaded the church, and the seeming of calm of the abbot who ended his malediction, spite of the uproar, is left to the reader's imagination. When he had finished the unheard curse, Bonifacius looked at him in gloomy observation. It was evident to his cool and instructed mind, which was far too earthly in its habits to cling to any hopes of a merely spiritual nature, that the outrage had already gone so far as to render it more hazardous to his enemy to retreat than to advance. Signing to the community, he descended slowly and with dignity from his throne and led the way from the choir. The monks obeyed. The fraternity walked from that extraordinary scene in their customary silent order. Emic followed the dark procession with a troubled eye, for even the conqueror regards the calm retreat of his foes with uneasiness, and there was an instant of painful distrust of his own purpose, as the last flowing robe vanished through a private door that led to a secret postern by which the routed Benedictines quitted a mountain, where they had so long dwelt in the calm and, we might add, in the ease of an affluent and privileged seclusion. The invaders of the abbey took this open abandonment of the place by its ancient possessors to be an unequivocal admission of their triumph. There is no moment so likely to produce excesses as that in which the uncertainty of strife is changed to the certainty of victory. The feelings seem willing to avenge themselves for all their previous doubts, and man is ever too ready to ascribe his successes to some inherent qualities, which give him an apparent right to abuse any advantages that may happen to be their consequence. 
The band of the castle and the people of the town, among whom a large proportion had to the last, distrusted the presence of the community, to which vulgar opinion attributed to the power of working miracles no sooner found themselves, as they believed, in undisputed possession of the mountain, than the reaction of feeling to which there has just been allusion, urged them to increase their violence and to redouble those efforts which had momentarily been checked. A shout of triumph was the common signal for renewing the assault. It was followed by the crashing of windows and the overthrow of every fixture in the body of the church that was not too solid to resist their first and ill-directed efforts, and a general mutilation of the monuments and labored statuary. Marble cherubs fell on every side, wings and limbs of angels separated from the trunks, and the grave and bearded visages of many an honored saint were doomed to endure contumely and fractures. But they and their decorations were ruthlessly scattered, as if the enmity of the conquerors were transferred from those who had administered at them to the dreaded being in whose name the rites had been celebrated. The reader will imagine the confusion and tumult that attended a scene like this. During the uproar, Emic buried his face in his mantle and paced to and fro in the choir, which his presence and perhaps some lingering reverence for the sacred spot still preserved from violence. He was joined only by the burgomaster and Burkhold, the remainder of the party having mingled with those who were destroying the chapels and decorations of the church. Heinrich seated himself in one of the vacant stalls, for the recent scene and the subsequent parting with his wife had shaken his resolution. Is the hair count troubled? demanded the latter after a moment of deferential silence. Emic dropped the cloak, and leaning a hand familiarly on the shoulder of his young servitor, he stood regarding the gorgeous riches and the elaborate beauty of the high altar, all of which was rendered doubly imposing by the powerful light that now illuminated the whole interior of the edifice, which was never more beautiful than as then seen, with its strong relief and deep shadows. Burkhold, there is a god, he said with emphasis. None but the fool doubts it, Harrymick, and he hath ministers on earth, those whom he hath commissioned to do him pleasure and to burn his incense. We have high authority for this belief, my good lord. We have. The authority is high that hath so much antiquity, which so suits our secret desires, which descends to us from our fathers, and which is so supported by proofs sacred and profane. Thou hast been well schooled, good Burkhold, said the Count, looking earnestly at his companion. Heaven left me a pious and tender mother when it took my father away. Emic continued to lean on the shoulder of Burkhold, while his eye, in which sternness of purpose was singularly blended with the waverings of doubt, never turned from its contemplation of the altar. Above the chaste and gilded cabinet which contained the host was a small picture of the Mother of Christ, delineated in those mild and attractive colors with which the pencil is accustomed to portray the virgin wife of Joseph. Her eye seemed to meet the gaze of Emic in sorrow. It was easy to fancy the gentle expression was in reproach of the sacrilege. These Benedictines are at length unhoused, he continued, trying fruitlessly to avert his look from that mild but expressive image. They have too long ridden roughly on their betters, Burkhold bowed. Dost thou see aught strange youth in that image of Maria? Tis a skilful design, Herr Count, and a fair face to regard. Methinks it looks upon this violence with an evil eye. Tis but the work of an ingenious man, my lord, and cannot look other than it hath always seemed. Dost think this, Burkhold? 
There are many who pretend that images and paintings have been known to speak when it was heaven's pleasure. They relate such legends, my good Lord, but these events and are little want to touch those who are not much disposed to see them. And yet in these facts had my father's faith, and in this belief was I trained. Burkhold was mute, his own education having been more suited to the growing opinions of the times. That God can surpass the ordinary workings of nature to effect his pleasure, continued Emic, we may at least believe. It may be believed, Herr Count, but is it necessary? He who made nature may use it at his pleasure. Ha! Thou hast no faith in miracles, boy. I am myself a miracle that tells me every moment of the existence of a superior power, and in that much I bend to its control. But it hath never been my fortune to hear an image speak, or see it do aught else that belongs to the will. By my father's bones! But thou art fit to deal with the cunningest knave that wears a cowl. How now, brave followers, turning towards his people, leave no vestige of the roguery and abominations that have so long been done within these polluted walls. Herr Count, said Burkhold, eagerly presuming in his haste to touch the cloak of Emic. Here are the Benedictines. The word caused the bold and at that moment the independent baron to turn suddenly, laying a hand on his sword as he did so. But the hand released its grasp, and the features of Emic immediately reverted to their former expression of anxiety and doubt at what he now beheld. By this time all of the different edifices which composed the Abbey of Limburg were fired, the church and its immediate appendages alone excepted. The consequence was such an increase of light within the latter as penetrated the most obscure of its Gothic recesses. The choir above all received the strongest illumination, and young Burkhold thought its tracery never appeared so beautiful as in that fearful moment of impending destruction. The candles and lamps of the great altar began to look dim, and all around prevailed the glorious and fiery brightness which accompanies a fierce conflagration. During the instant that Emic was turned towards his people, two monks had come from the sacristy and placed themselves on the steps of the altar. They were the prior and Father Johann. The former bore a small ivory crucifix, which from time to time he kissed, while the latter placed at his feet a massive and curiously carved chest of sufficient size and weight to have required the aid of a lay brother to bring it from its repository. The countenance of the prior was mild, persuasive, and filled with holy concern. That of his companion flushed, excited, and bearing the look of feverish fire, which is the effect of an enthusiasm that springs as much from temperament as from conviction. Emic looked at the Benedictines uneasily, and he advanced so near, always attended by the forester, as to be within reach of his arm. For God, but ye are tardy, fathers, he said, determined to assume an indifference he was far from feeling. The pious Bonifacius hath departed many minutes, and quickened as he is by love of his person. I make no question that his footsteps have already gone down the mountainside. Thou hast at length yielded to the whispering of the devil, Count Linogen returned the prior thou art resolute that this blot shall rest upon thy soul we are not at confession holy arnoff but engaged in a nightly redressing of our rights if thou hast aught here that is dear to thee take it of god's name and go thy way thou shalt have safe conduct were it to the gates of rome for of all thy fraternity thou art he for whom alone i feel regret or amnity in this just enterprise I know not this difference in love when it touches the existence of our shrine or the duty that ties us to its service. 
This question is not between thee and me, Lord Emic, but between thee and God. Have it as thou wilt, Herr Prior, so thou dost but depart in peace. I am not weak enough to resist when resistance is vain, mildly answered the monk, nor am I quick to desert my post while there is hope. Thou hast not well bethought thee of this act, Emic. Thou hast not remembered thy posterity, nor thy kind interest in the noble Ermengarde. Dost fancy me an uxorious citizen, Reverend Arnoff, that thou wouldst fain stop a knight in his onset by speaking of the good wife and her babes? As he concluded, Emic laughed. Thou hast not well conceived me. This is not a question of death in battle or of the grief of those who survive for such thoughts are unhappily but too common with those who rule the earth to raise disquiet. But I would speak to thee of the long future and of its pains. Dost thou know, irreverend baron, that the God of Israel, who is my God and thine, the God of Israel hath said that he will visit the sins of the parent upon the descendant from generation to generation, and yet blinded by the specious success thou seemest to court his anger? This may be so or not, for ye of the cloisters have many subtle ways of reasoning as you wish. But to me it appeareth better that each should suffer for his own sins, and such, I take it, is what the community of Limburg doth now undergo. That we have done much evil and neglected much good is, alas, too true. By the kings of Koln, thou art getting to be of our side, holy Arnoff. For such is the common course, continued the unmoved prior, but that thou art not our judge is equally certain. That each does and will suffer for his own acts is beyond denial, but the fearful consequences of crime do not stop with him who hath committed it. This much is taught us by reason, and what is still more sure, it is consecrated by words from God's own mouth. Ponder then, whilst thou may, on the load of sorrow thou art heaping on thy descendants. Remember that thou standest there subject to goading passions, the miserable being thou art, simply that in thy person thou payest the price of apparent sins. What our common father did is still avenged on us his children. How now, Herr Prior, thou pushest my pedigree beyond its pretensions, noble and princely if thou wilt, but I pass not the dark ages in any of my claims. Let them that have greater ambition pay for the purchase in the way thou namest. I am content with more modern honors. Emic spoke jeeringly, but the attentive monk saw that he was troubled. If thou hast no thought for posterity, none for thyself, none for thy god, Emic, the latter resumed, bethink thee of those who have gone before. Hast already forgotten thy visit to the tombs of thy family? Thou hast me there, Arnoff. Those sacred vaults have been thy covenant's shield these many months and thou art now disposed to forget them? If thou wilt ask yon honest men, they will tell thee, prior, they have no order to spare the meanest of thy marble cherubs, even though it hover over a grave of mine own house. Then I do indeed despair of touching thy heart, answered Father Arnoff, sorrowing as much for the crime as for its consequences. Then indeed art thou madly and ruthlessly bent, not only on our destruction, but on thine own. For pity for the child and love of the parent are equally despised. Emic of Linogen, I curse thee not. This is a weapon too fearful for human hands lightly to wield. I bless thee not. Duty to God forbids the holy office. Hold, Reverend Arnoff, let us not part in anger. 
I would in sooth crave thee from thy worthy hand some touch of consolation, if I, if there be chapel in this church, for which thou hast more than usual reverence, let it be named, and I swear by night's faith, unless the work be already done, it shall stand unscathed amid the ruins in testimony of my love for thee. Or if thou hast aught here of peace, whether of monkish or worldly value, point it out that it may be held safe for thy better leisure. In return, I ask but the parting words of peace. Tis forbidden to those who war against God returned the grieved prior, releasing his robe from the eager grasp of the baron. I can and will pray for thee, Emic, but to bless thee were treachery to heaven. So saying, the pious Arnuf buried his face in his dress to shut out the view of the profanation that was working around him and withdrew slowly from the choir. End of Volume 2, Chapter 7 Read by Joel Kendrick